He's preached in tent meetings. He's preached in beautiful buildings. He's preached at crusades and large auditoriums, under shade trees, street corners, deserted schoolhouses, saloons, you name it. He's preached there. He built a beautiful church a few years ago. I had the privilege and honor of dedicating it. The place was packed with people. Brother Gamlin got up and said, Praise God for wall-to-wall carpet, wall-to-wall people, and wall-to-wall debt. The body? Now I'm going to be using some slides, and Brother Clifford was nice enough to secure this machine from a business place here in the city. Now, if anything goes wrong, uh, of which I trust it doesn't, because I want to preach to you tonight, I'm going to preach on the Battle of Armageddon, and now there's one thing I'm thankful for, that I'm preaching tonight, and nobody can ask me one question. I can preach anything I want to, and nobody will bother me. And I'm going to preach tonight by the help of the Lord. Are you ready for some preaching? Hallelujah. I heard a story some time ago. The minister stepped to the pulpit on Sunday morning and he had a band-aid on his face. He said, I apologize. He said, while I was shaving today, he said, I thought of my sermon and I cut my face. When the meeting was over, there was a note left on the pulpit that said, Dear Pastor, next Sunday when you go to shave, think of your face and cut the sermon. But we're not going to cut the sermon tonight. Now, it'll take us uh, three or four minutes. I've got to go back and uh, get this all adjusted. And now, in a few minutes, the lights will be dimmed. Uh, they'll almost be out. Now, if your children get restless, you take the little ones out and warm them up. And you uh, take the big ones out and you cool them off. I'm going to ask you to be seated, and I'd like to have a course. Somebody could give me a course while I go back to the machine. Take us for about three or four minutes, and we'll be ready to start. There's somebody that can come to the music, please, and uh, we'd like to join in again and sing. I'd like to express my thanks for being asked to come and to do what little I could in this prophecy conference. And then I'd like to present to you two reasons why there will be an Armageddon. I could give you more reasons than two, but I feel that two will be sufficient to prove my point. Now the battle of Armageddon, and if we can have the lights now and then we'll turn on the machine and we'll get started. The battle of Armageddon and we will 
get all of the lights that we possibly can dimmed so you can see the pictures better. And I am beginning with a scripture that's taken from the third chapter of the book of Joel. Verse number one, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Now verse number nine, proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, and let the weak say, I am strong. All right, uh, if you'll move right along and uh, just keep up with me now. Uh, this young man has never done this, and, and uh, he'll catch on in a few minutes. Now notice carefully the scope of the battle. For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations. Now note carefully, he said, I will gather all nations. Now that does not mean in any sense of the word that all the men, all the women, and all the children of all the nations of the world will be assembled for the battle of Armageddon. But it does mean that each nation upon the top side of God's green earth will have a military representation at the coming battle of Armageddon. Every nation will be represented there. Now the scope of the battle will involve all the nations of the earth. And the two world wars that we have been involved in will seem like child's play compared to the battle that is yet to come. There is a church that is now teaching that the battle of Armageddon is a spiritual warfare, it's a spiritual battle, and they say that there will be no actual literal battle fought that is known as the Bible as the Battle of Armageddon. But I dispute that because Armageddon is in the future. It is not a spiritual warfare, it is not a spiritual battle, but it is actually a battle. It's actually a battle and blood will be shed. Now I've established the fact of the scope of the battle it will be worldwide. Now, I want to present a reason to you of why there will be an Armageddon. Why such a battle as this will be fought. Now, I want to put you at ease right now. The battle of Armageddon is not a little battle that is drummed up among a few nations. But the seed of the battle of Armageddon was sown centuries past. And I want you to notice the 14th chapter of the book of Isaiah when the Bible speaks about Lucifer, the son of the morning. And if there be any difference between sin and iniquity, here is the difference. 
Sin is a transgression of the law. Iniquity is rebellion against divine authority. Lucifer, uh, Lucifer was perfect until the day that iniquity was found in him. This was his desire, according to the scripture, was to take the place of God. He wanted worship from God's beautiful creation. Everything that God has ever done, every program that God has ever authored, the devil has been there to try to wreck that plan and that program. But I'm going to preach to you tonight from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 that Jesus Christ said, the church I'm going to build, the gates of hell will never be able to prevail against that church. I have read a scripture many times and I've preached from it many times. When the writer to the Hebrew Christians dipped his pen in the fountain of inspiration and wrote and said this, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Everything that can be moved will be moved. But he said, Beloved, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved. Thank God there's some things that cannot be moved, some things that cannot be shaken. Now notice that it was the desire of Lucifer to not only be equal with God, but to go beyond God. He wanted to demand the worship of God's beautiful creation. But in John chapter 4 and verse 24, the scripture said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In fact, God said, I will not give my praise to graven images. Now, I will not give my glory to another. God demands our worship. He demands our love and devotion. And I'm here to preach to you tonight. The devil is trying to take the place of God to wreck the plan and the program of God. And all of this comes to a head in the book of Revelation when the Antichrist will come upon the scene of time and the stage of action and demand worship from the world. But you hear me tonight? God said, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. And I will not give my glory to another, and neither shall you praise graven images, because I am God, and I am God alone. The scripture teaches that we are not to worship angels. We are not to pray to dead saints, but we are to cut the red tape and go straight to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! We are to worship him in spirit and in truth. Here is a scripture that has been overlooked by so many people. First John chapter 2 and verse 18. John said, Antichrist shall come. Then he added another phrase. Even now, there are many antichrists. That was near 2,000 years ago. The spirit of antichrist, the spirit of the devil, he has done everything possible to wreck the plan and the program of God. 
now in the beautiful Garden of Eden. And I want you to know that I'm still old-fashioned enough to believe in the Genesis account of the story of creation. God made a man. He did not make an infant. He made a man. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that man became a living soul. That was God's creation. Then the devil appeared. Now I know that you've heard, and I've heard all down through the years, that it was an apple off of the tree that caused the trouble. It wasn't the apple on the tree that caused the trouble, but it was the pear on the ground. The devil said, if you will partake of this fruit that God said you should not eat of, you will not die, but you will become as wise as God. The devil trying to wreck the plan and the program of God. And I want you to follow me closely tonight. I'm going to cover a lot of territory. I'm going to cover some things in this Bible that we had better arouse ourselves. Let me tell you tonight, a half-truth is one of the worst things the devil ever shoveled off on anybody. Is half-truth. Give me the whole truth. Give me God. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the door to the sheepfold. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the head of the church. He's the foundation of the church. He's the builder of the church. And one day, he's coming back for that church. Now, I want you to notice there was the people of Israel uh, as God drove out Adam and Eve and then placed an angel at the gate of the garden so that Adam and Eve would not come back in and eat of the tree of life in a sinful state and live forever. God, God and the devil has been in a conflict ever since there has been a devil. The conflict is raging tonight, but the conflict will come to a head at the Battle of Armageddon. You follow me tonight? Now notice, the scripture teaches that God sent Moses down into the land of Egypt, found the Israelites there, no more than slaves, in bondage, slavery. That's where Moses found them. He led them out and was taking them to a land of promise that was flowing with milk and honey. Moses went up on the mountain to receive the law that was to govern the nation of Israel. And I want to tell you, you talk about a miracle drug. Moses came down from that mountain with two tablets of stone. And those two tablets would have been the greatest miracle drug that Israel ever had if they would have obeyed what God gave to Moses. Brother, we need the miracle drug tonight. And when I say the miracle drug, I mean the preaching of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. 
to preach the Word of God because the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. But I suppose that Moses stayed a little longer on the mountain than he was supposed to have stayed. Now, there was a great demonstration of God's power on that mountain. Lightnings and thunders and the people stood at the foot of the mountain afraid and in awe. But that was God's demonstration of power. There was a lonely man. He was there talking with God. When he came down from that mountain, his face shone with such brightness until he had to put a veil over his face so that people could look upon him. And somehow, after God was so good to Israel, sent them a deliverer. And the scripture teaches that Moses stayed on the mountain, maybe a little longer than they fought for. They wanted a God that they could see. They took their jewelry, melted that stuff together, and made themselves a golden calf. They walked around that golden calf, giving the glory, the honor, and the praise to a golden calf that rightfully belonged to God. It was not the golden calf that brought them out of bondage, but it was God through the leadership of Moses and Aaron that brought them out. Oh, brother, let me tell you, anything tonight that will cause the displeasure of God upon our lives is to put somebody before him, ahead of him. His name is the greatest name. His name is the highest name. It's exalted on high. Hallelujah. God said, I'm the first and I'm the last, and beside me there is no other. I want you to note carefully what is transpiring here. And somebody said, now, why is all of this taking place? I'm going to answer you a question tonight. The Antichrist is called the lawless one. He's called the lawless one. The spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And I'm going to make a broad statement here tonight. Antichrist, Antichrist, Anti-God, Anti-Church, Anti-Bible, and Anti-Christian. There's a spirit in this world tonight that's against God, against the church, against the Bible. It's against us tonight. It's against us. There's an unseen pressure. It's hard to exactly define what it is, but there's a pressure that exists. The saints can feel it. The ministry can feel it. It's the force of hell. He knows that he does not have but a short time left to do his dirty work. But oh, let me tell you, I've rejoiced in this scripture many times. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Antichrist. Anti-Bible against God, against the church, against the purity of heartfelt religion, against the Bible, against the Bible. I'm going to show you some things here tonight 
that the spirit of Antichrist is already working in this world. I want you to note that was three Hebrew boys. They would not bend, budge, or burn. But they were given the opportunity at the sound of the music to fall down and worship that image. They said, we're going to tell you now whether you throw us in the furnace of fire or not. We are not going to fall down and worship. Let me tell you tonight, the devil does not care what you worship. He doesn't care how many gods you worship just so you don't worship the true and living God. He doesn't care. I want to show you what's happening. I want to show you how the devil is taking advantage. I have before me a clipping. It's entitled, What Preachers Are Preaching. And this survey was not taken by Pentecostals, was by another church. 1,500 ministers answered a questionnaire. Only 46% of the 1,500 believed in a personal devil. Only 40% believed in angels. Only 20% believed in hell. Only 27% believed in the new birth. Only 11% believed in the virgin birth. And, four, and only 14% believed in the necessity of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, the devil is having a heyday tonight. That's why he's against the United Pentecostal Church. That's why he's against men and women that's witnessing and preaching and testifying by preaching the gospel and preaching by example. That's why the devil does not care for the sakes of the Most High. But oh, brother, we're on the winning side tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're on the winning side tonight. Hallelujah. All you do is to fall down and worship the image and everything will be all right. But oh, no. They went in, but they came out. Thank God, not even the smell of burn on their clothes anywhere. They came out, they came out. Praise God. Now notice, as we go along, I'll show you this antichrist spirit. Now I want you to notice that the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of this world. What was the deal? Now Jesus... I'll give you a shortcut. You want to have to go to Calvary. You want to have to die. All you'll have to do is to fall down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. I suppose that our blessed Lord would have yielded and worshipped Satan. What I'm trying to show you tonight is the conflict. Ever since we know anything about the devil, there's been a conflict between God and the devil. There's a tug on your heart for God, a tug on your heart for the devil. There it is. It's a tug. It's a warfare. But the spirit of Antichrist is already in this world right now. You see, when I talk about a battle against the Bible, this is what I mean. Here is an article. Leading scientist claims many Bible miracles were simply natural 
events. I heard about a man that hadn't had the Holy Ghost very long and was talking to a fellow about God. This fellow said, do you believe that Moses really led the children of Israel through the Red Sea? Oh yes, he said, I believe that. Why, he said, we have discovered where Moses was supposed to have had the waters parted, that the water was about ankle deep. It was a marshy land, and the water was not over ankle deep. And this man started shouting. Why, the fellow said, what in the world are you shouting about? He said, I've wrecked your little belief you had in the story that the waters parted. Why, the man said, I'm shouting. He said, because the Bible said that God drowned a whole Egyptian army. And if God drowned a whole army in water that was not over ankle deep, he's a bigger God than I thought he was. Somebody cries, Show us the miracles. Where are the miracles? This is a true happening. A man was a drunkard. Every Friday evening when he get his pay, he'd stop at the tavern, spend his money. His family was almost in starvation without sufficient clothing and food. Somebody invited him to church and he got the Holy Ghost. And the strangest thing happened, he got his pay on the next Friday. He passed by that saloon Went home and on Saturday, they went to town, they bought furniture, they bought clothes and they bought food, came back and the next Sunday found them in the house of God worshiping him. In a few days, you know, you men that work on public jobs, you'll always find a smart aleck in the crowd somewhere. And there was a real smart one in that crowd that this man worked with. He walked up to him, he said, hey, he said, I hear that you join the church. Well, he said, I received the Holy Ghost. He said, do you believe all the Bible? He said, I sure. I sure believe all the Bible. He said, explain to me how Jesus Christ turned water into wine. Oh, the man said, I, I can't explain it, but he said, I know it happened. He, he said, at the command of the Lord, they filled up the water pots, and somewhere in that process, the water was turned to wine. He said, I tell you what. He said, I cannot explain how Jesus Christ turned water into wine but I can't explain how Jesus Christ turned beer into furniture. <laughs> now that's a miracle! An old lady was witnessing to a man that didn't believe in God. He said, you mean to tell me that you believe that old fish's story that the whale swallowed Jonah? Oh, yeah, she said, I believe it. He said, did it ever occur to you that we've proven that the throat of a whale is too small to swallow a man? She said, did it ever occur to you that that was a tailor-made job? <laughs> the Lord prepared a fish. The Lord prepared a fish. But she said, I tell you what I'm going to do. When I get to heaven, if I think about it, I'm going to ask Jonah about that. He said, suppose when you get there, he's not there. 
Well, she said, you ask him. Let's believe it like it is. If you want to know about the Holy Ghost, don't go to some old preacher that don't believe you can receive it and ask him about it. He'll tell you you can't get it. Go to some old saint of God that's been walking with the Lord for 50 years and they'll tell you that it's a living, tangible reality. Hallelujah! And what about the Nile River turning to blood? One of the plagues of the Old Testament. Well, Russian scientists discovered that there was a massive landslide that caused that. <laughs> Russian scientists. Heard about the infidel talking to the Christian. He said, I don't understand. He said, the Jewish people, they have certain religious days that they celebrate. You Christians, you have a number of days in the year that you celebrate, but we don't have any. The Christians said, why don't you all celebrate April the 1st? raising this ugly head against God. It's a spirit of Antichrist. That's exactly what it is. What has brought on this change in dress of men and women? I stumbled in on a coming out party by an accident some time ago. I'd parked on the back side of a hotel that was going to walk through the lobby out to the main street on the other side. Well, when I got in the lobby, big crowd of folks. I turned to a man. I said, what's going on? He said, that lady over there is having a coming out party. Well, I looked over there. Well, I said, she almost made it. She's in trying to get out or I'm trying to get in. That dress she had on was neckless and backless and strapless and reckless. Why was a meat market dress? Did I ever tell you what a meat market dress was? That's a dress that exposes all the backbone and most of the spare ribs.
answer that we used to know. Why is the decency? Why are the morals of this world on skids tonight? Why? Why? It's a spirit of Antichrist. Why do women rebel against God in the Bible? The spirit of Antichrist. Rebellion. Why does men rebel against the teaching of the Word of God? Rebellion. Rebellion. Amen. I read something one time that really impressed me. It's about cannibals. You know, cannibals are people that eat people. Two of them was talking. One of them said, I don't like my mother-in-law. Well, the other said, just eat the vegetables. But this is what I read. You made me think of it when you talk about Africa. I, I remember reading this some time ago that two fellows came up on a drive-in restaurant down in Africa and they had the menu tucked up on a coconut tree. It said, natives, $2 a pound. Missionaries, $4 a pound. And hippies, $16 a pound. Uh, one of them said, I can't understand the difference in the price. Why is that? Natives only $2 a pound, and missionaries $4 a pound, but hippies are $16 a pound. Why is that? The other said, did you ever try to clean one? Listen, here is an article. There are now 143,733 more bars, cocktail lounges, and liquor stores in the United States than there are churches, synagogues, and temples of all religious groups according to the Methodist Board of Temperance. What is the cause of all of this? Why is the nation and the world in the turmoil they're in tonight? It's a spirit of Antichrist trying to take the place of God to disrupt the plan and the program of God. Here is an article from California. Here is a man by the name of Anton Levy has established what he calls the first satanic church of the United States. It's a success. He builds himself as a high priest of the devil. Satan, Lucifer, and Beelzebub or any other evil name you can think of. He already has 2,500 members. Now, they had the first marriage in that church. The bride was Judith Case, age 26, the daughter of a prominent New York State Republican. The groom was John Raymond, an unemployed writer. The 100 or so guests threw black rice. The happy couple told newsmen their marriage was conceived not in heaven, but in hell. Do you understand what I'm preaching here tonight? 
I know that I'm preaching on Armageddon and I'm leading up to that. But I'm showing you tonight there's a conflict between God and the devil. And the principal thing that's engaged in this tonight is the souls of men and women that will never die, but they're going to live forever somewhere. If we've ever needed a revival, we need a revival tonight. We need a revival of all time, heaven sent religion that will clean up the lives of men, that will put joy in the heart, put a praise on their lips. Oh, you know I'm telling you the truth tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's our answer tonight, is a revival, 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 revival. The youth needs our help. Sometimes I, I get sorry for the youth. Somebody will come along and say, get lost. Somebody else will come along and say, find yourself. I'm from the, I am for the youth. One day I was young. I'm for the youth. We need a revival of decency. We need a revival of old time, heaven sent, heartfelt religion. And it's good for the young and it's good for the old. And I'm going to tell you tonight, there's no standard for the young and another standard for the old. We all must measure up to the standard of the Word of God. Sin, sin, sin. Oh, it's going everywhere. Sin. I hear language among the youth. I don't understand it. They say, I don't dig it. I don't hack it. I split. I don't understand it. But I'm still for the youth. I want to see them saved. And I want to tell you something else I do tonight. I respect that young man or that young woman that was reared in a Pentecostal church. They've never felt the sting of a needle. They've never wallowed in the gutter, in the filth. They've never had a drink. I honor them, and I thank God. It's just as much honor to God to be kept from it as it is to be saved from it when you get into it. The church is designed for two things. Number one, to save a life before it's broken. Number two, to save the life after it's broken. Now, the first thing, the first thing, the devil trying, trying to be God. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 4, the scripture said they worshiped the dragon. Now that's in the period of tribulation. They worshiped the dragon. They worshiped the beast. Then the scripture says, they wondered after the beast and said, who is like unto the beast and who is able to make war with him? I'll tell you who's able to make war with him. And I'm going to show it to you in a few minutes. I know who's able to make war with him. 
Just to be frank with you, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. And it matters very little with me who he's going to be. You see, there's two great characters in the Bible. The one is Antichrist and the other one is Jesus Christ. And the one opposes the other. That's where the conflict is tonight. That's why the spirit of Antichrist is among people right now. Is that they are trying, trying to win the spirit of Antichrist and the devil that's the back of this. When I get over in Revelation in a few minutes, I might stir up a hornet's nest, but I'll be here and help you settle it. I was talking to somebody the other day. He said, do you honestly believe that Jesus Christ is coming back before Antichrist? He said, do you honestly believe he's coming back before the horrible things in the book of Revelation? I said, I do. Oh, he said, I don't. Well, I'll tell you. I've learned this a long time ago. When people go to asking me questions, I start asking them questions. Now, I don't always get the right answer. Like a little boy in school. Now, some of you all might be old enough to remember this, but in school, you got your grades by a star. And they might still use it in some Sunday schools if you're absent, certain colored star, if your lesson was good, and so on. So this little boy brought in his report card, handed it up to his father, and the father looked at that report card, and by every subject there was a star that signified a good grade. But by one subject, there was a big zero. The father said, what does this mean? He said, what? Oh, he said that? He says they ran out of stars and they gave me the moon. <laughs> it was an answer, but it wasn't the right answer. And the argument that this man gave me, the reason the church would have to pass through this period of suffering was to perfect the saints. I said, what about all the saints that's already dead? You know, he said, I hadn't thought of that. I said, that's reading you in the mess you in. <laughs> Let me tell you tonight, that period in Revelation was not designed to perfect the bride of the body of Jesus Christ. You know what God has endorsed and ordained that will perfect the church of the living God? It's a preaching ministry that he's put in the church. Hallelujah! We need preaching in this country. And I'm not talking about a bedtime story. We need preaching in this country. The kind of preaching that'll make men and women turn on their beds at night under conviction. We need the kind of preaching that'll make the termites come out in the keyhole of the door to see what's going on down at the Pentecostal church. It's time for preaching. It's time for preaching. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He said, go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized 
shall be saved. Somebody said, don't. Don't preach doctrine and you'll have a bigger crowd. That's hogwash. I can take the Bible and prove in Romans chapter 6. God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from your heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin. When? When they obeyed the doctrine. How can they obey that which they've never heard? When you mention doctrine around some folks. Now when I say doctrine, I don't mean man-made stuff. I mean the doctrine of the New Testament. The doctrine of the church of the firstborn. The pillar and the ground of the truth. And when you mention doctrine around some folks, they feel just as out of place as a diabetic football player would feel in the sugar bowl. Brother, preach it to me, will you? Preach it to me. I love it. I love it. It saved me. It saved me. Oh, it saved me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. the one reason why that there will be an Armageddon the devil trying to take the place of God Jesus was ministered to by an angel strengthen him now I must hurry on the flesh was weak the spirit was willing he saw in that cup something that we should think about tonight. He drank it. Thank God he did. When he went to the cross, he could have come down. But I'm going to make a statement. He could not save himself and save us. He died. Hanging between two thieves. Was put in a tomb. But came out on the third day. And he's alive forevermore he's alive forevermore now that's the first reason why that there will be an Armageddon is the devil trying to take the place of God now the second reason is that I'm going to prove later on that the Antichrist will make a move to exterminate the Jew from the face of the earth We'll make a broad statement right now. The Jew is indestructible. I said the Jew is indestructible. Now let's see what he said. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord hath spoken this word. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languishes and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. Notice, Isaiah chapter 29, 
It shall be even as when a hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. Or as when a man, or when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. That's the picture. You wait till I show you how they're going to be defeated. Now notice, they're going to move against Zion. Now every conflict and every war that comes, the leaders know enough about the Bible to realize that there will be an Armageddon. When the Japanese surrendered, threw in the sponge, General Douglas MacArthur made this statement. He said, we have one more try for world democracy. If we fail in this endeavor, the next thing is Armageddon. But somehow, they have missed it, and I'm going to make this statement before I get to it. Armageddon is not going to be a war between two superpowers, between one block of nations and another block of nations. You might be surprised to know it's been in the Bible all the time. Armageddon is going to be fought. It's going to be fought in the Bible land. I'm going to prove that tonight by the scripture. Now notice, as we go along, and I'll show you what's happening in our that you think not. You see, this man is reading through glasses of unbelief. Oh, he said, I've heard about the end of the world, and I've heard about Armageddon. But you know, he said, we've always had wars, and all things continue as they were from the beginning. And he has a great big book that shows all the wars that's been fought. But you hear me tonight, friend? We'd better be reading this Bible and get all the faith of God in our hearts that we can. Because Jesus is coming. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is coming. And when he comes, he's coming for his bride. He's coming for the people that has not denied his name. And that name is Jesus. Now notice, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry that bitterly. And I will bring distress upon men that they should walk like blind men because they've sinned against the Lord. And the blood shall be poured out as dust and the flesh as the dung. Neither the silver nor the gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Now notice again as we move along. The beast trying to destroy the Jews. The beast trying to destroy the Jews. Joel chapter 3. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Amen. You may say, why are you defending the Jews? I'm just giving you what the Bible said about it. We're headed for the world's most violent hour. Armageddon will demonstrate man at the height of his pride and his folly. 
Now notice, I want to show you something here tonight. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. Now you notice the unholy trinity that's mentioned in the book of Revelation. Three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast. That's the man of sin, the Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now if you will note the book of Revelation, there's two things. There is a federation of nations that will be governed by the Antichrist. He'll be the head of federated nations. Then there will be the federation of churches and the false prophet will head that up. Then the dragon is the back of both of them trying to steal the worship that belongs to God. You read Revelation 17 and you'll see where this harlot woman robed the beast into power. Now I will admit there will be a religious system on earth during the tribulation period. But it's going to be a false religious system. The false prophet will head that up. Well, that will be a systemized form of government and the Antichrist will sit at the head of a systemized form of government and the false prophet will head up the false church and the dragon, the devil, the serpent, Lucifer will be at the back of all of it. You read Revelation chapter 17 and you'll find this woman had a golden cup in her hand which denotes purity, deity. But oh, what was on the inside of that cup? You hear me tonight, my friend. There will be a false religious system. But thank God, the Bible calls this woman the mother of harlots. She's a harlot. But you know what the Bible calls the bride of Christ? A virgin. A virgin. A virgin. Brothers, and I know you want to read this scripture. Get me Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. Listen, I never felt more like preaching in all the days of my life. When I get to preaching about what I'm preaching about tonight, and then people come around and, and say, well, now God understands, and God, when he comes back, he's going to take all the good ones out of this church, and all the good ones out of this church, and all the good ones out of this church, and he's going to make up his bride. No, he's going to take the people of his church. Let me dedicate this to all the preachers here tonight. How many of you ever had a great service on Sunday night and you'd go to a meeting somewhere on Monday night and you couldn't wait till somebody would say, how's your church doing? Oh, brother, you ought to see my church. Now, my church, it's really in high gear. I baptized 10 last night, 15 got the whole Man, You just ought to be in my church. But you let something happen to that church. And that preacher will hunt a prayer closet, get on his knees. Now, Lord, you know this is your church. <laughs> What's the scripture? But it's this church all the time. It was all the time. I said it's this church all the That's time. Right. Come on, let's read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. Oh, yes, praise God. Now, notice, I'm going to show you something here tonight concerning the true bride, the true body of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. There is one body. How many? One, one. body. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. And Christ is the head of the church, the body. The body is the church. The church is the body. There's one and there's one head. 
Matthew 16, 18, Thou art Peter, up on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against that church. The beast will meet his doom. The holy church will meet her doom. But the bride will meet Jesus. I'll hold in my hand tonight a Time magazine, May the 26th, 1946. 35 years old, and I've looked this all over this country. Here's an article, The Bridge Church. Bishop William T. Manning last week made his farewell address at the age of 80, and he prophesied, the reunion of the church will come, and today there are many signs of his coming. We're headed toward the Federation of Churches just as sure as I'm preaching here tonight. Every church is letting down on what they did preach to have unity. If you've got to leave off what you're preaching to have unity, that's compromise. Everything that came out of Babylon is going home to Babylon. Everything that broke away from that holy church, one day they're going back to the holy church. Oh, brother, this is what makes me shout. When they go home to mother, we're going home to father. Read on. There is one body. One body. Body. Come on. One spirit. Three. One. Two. Spirit. One. One spirit. One spirit. Come on. Even. Even as you are called in one hope. One hope of your calling. There's only one hope. One hope of your calling. Read on. One Lord. How many? One Lord. Three. One Lord. Two. One Lord. One Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Now, brother, of what faith are you? <laughs> One faith. The lady told me that it's like going to Chicago. Said there's a lot of roads, but they all got there. I said we're not going to Chicago. and you ought to shout. Someone asked me not long ago, said, why is it that there's so many icebergs in the pew? I said, because there's so many polar bears in the pulpit. 
this religion must not pour in any refrigerator. Oh, sir. It was born in a fire. It was born in a fire. Hallelujah. It was born in a fire. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. One Lord, one faith. One baptism. One baptism. Come on. One God and Father of all. How many? One God. Now, just a minute. I want to just rough you something here. There was a time several years ago when the Mason-Dixon line meant something, but now, you know, I don't even know where it is anymore. And I used to preach up north when it meant something. And they liked to hear a southerner talk with that accent. And one night I was preaching South Bend years ago. And somewhere in my sermon I said, you all. Man, they started smiling. I stopped and I said, I know what you're smiling about. But I said, I had a brother that talked like that. He looked at me, and I read this scripture right here. Read it, come on. One God, One God. and Father of all, and Father of all, who is above all, who is above all, and through all, and through all, and in you all, and in you all. He's in you all tonight. Hallelujah. He's in you all. He's in you all. He's in you all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One wife. One. That's where we get our oneness doctrine. Let's read it again, the whole thing. Stand up here with me and read it. Come on, let's, let's read it. One Lord. One Lord. One faith, one, one baptism, one God, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty and to gather them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Notice carefully. Evil angels, they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. That's his battle. I said, that's his battle. Notice now. We are marching. We are marching. These pictures signifies that we're headed toward the world's most violent hour. There will be a conflict. The whole world, not part of the world, but the whole world. Whole entire world. No nation will be able to escape it. You hear me tonight, friend? The battle of Armageddon. The battle of God Almighty. The day when the Antichrist will gather all of the armies under his supervision and they will come against Jerusalem to battle. Now, I want you tonight, please, uh, 
just cooperate with me for a minute. On the eve of Armageddon, I want us tonight in this beautiful auditorium to visualize, if we can, that we are Jews. We're in Jerusalem. The covenant has been broken between the Jewish nation and the Antichrist. Now the Antichrist is marching toward Jerusalem to make one final attempt to exterminate the Jew from the face of the earth and also to meet Jesus. People don't understand. Here is one little thing I want to throw in. Did it ever occur to you that the wealth of the Dead Sea and minerals is valued at one trillion two hundred sixty-seven billion five hundred million dollars? It's worth fighting for. On the eve of Armageddon, knowing that the Antichrist with the armies of the world, strange how such a little plot of ground and a handful of people has created so much excitement in the world. Before I go any further, I want to read Zechariah chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Amen. Eve of Armageddon. The Antichrist is marching toward Jerusalem to exterminate the Jews and take Jerusalem. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, and the houses rifled. Half the women shall... And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the women shall be ravished, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the days of battle. Can you imagine that? That's the Dead Sea that I told you was worth one trillion two hundred sixty-seven billion and five hundred million dollars. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the days of battle. Notice what's happening. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Worldwide in its scope, the Antichrist is furious when the 144,000 Jews that were sealed in their foreheads, they begin to preach the coming kingdom. They were preaching a literal kingdom. If you'll stop for a minute and think, there's two vines. The vine of the earth, and Jesus said, I am the true vine. There are two people. There's a spiritual people. That's the church. A natural people. That's the Jews. Two kingdoms. A spiritual kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within men. Then there will be a literal kingdom. There are two Babylons. One is a religious Babylon. 
The other is a commercial or a political Babylon. There are two Jerusalems, a heavenly and an earthly, and the one that is above, Paul said, is the mother of us all. Think about what I'm talking about tonight. I'll gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And when it seems that all hope is gone, verse number 5 of Zechariah chapter 14, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. What saints are coming with him? It's the raptured saints coming back with him. And I want you to notice Revelation 19 and 11. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God in this 16th verse. Oh, to make you shout. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of kings and Lord of Lord. Hallelujah! Second Samuel 22, 32, who is the Lord save God? Jeremiah 10 and 10, the Lord is the true God and everlasting King. You heard it read, there is one Lord. Now if the God of eternity is the Lord, and the Lord is God, and the Lord is the King, and if there's not the one Lord, all I've got to do to find out who God is, is to find out who the Lord is. And when God knocks all down in Acts chapter 9, he looked up and said, Lord, who art thou? Lord, who art thou? Lord, who art thou? Lord, who art thou? And the Lord said. And the Lord said. And the Lord said. And the Lord said. I am Jesus. John 5, 43, Jesus said, I am coming in my Father's name. You receive me not. But if another will come in his own name, him you will receive. That's what they did. They received the Antichrist in his name. But one day they're going to receive Jesus' name. King of kings. When I baptize preachers, I hold them under a little longer than I do anybody else. I held the 10th crusade. I baptized seven preachers. One of them said, I have heard you preach, but he said, you're wrong. I said, what do you believe? He told me. I said, we're crossed. He said, in the scripture, where the Lord is spelt out in capital letters, that means God, but where it's spelt out in small letters, that is relative to Jesus, and Jesus is the little Lord. And I said, if you show me one verse in the Bible where the word Lord is spelled out in capital letters relative to Jesus, I'll let you baptize me. I said, you bring, change your clothes? He said, it's not in there. Oh, I said, yes, it is. He said, show me. I turned to Revelation 19. There it is. 
Read it when you get hold of it. It's in your Bible, all in chapter letters, talking about Jesus Christ coming back on a white horse. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't tell me he's the second when he said, I'm the first and I'm the last. Did you ever read that in the Bible where Jesus said, I and my father are one? Did you ever read that? Yes. Well, they taught me when I was going to school that if I talked to someone else, I was supposed to put their name first and then I was supposed to be second. Like this, for instance, now, this is proper. Brother Urshan and I are going out tonight for a steak. Thank God. And he's going to pick up the tab. Now that's proper. That's proper. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's proper. That's prophecy. Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say. My father and I, he said, I am my father. When you see me, you see my father. When you see me, you see him that sent me. I and my father are one. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. For in him goeth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hallelujah. Notice, coming back with ten thousands of his saints. Why? Where did they come from? Enoch testified a long time ago that he's coming back with ten thousands of his saints. And he has to get them up there before he can come back with them. Hallelujah! He's coming back. Yes, sir, he's coming back. Now notice. As we move on, right quick. Now, there are two suppers in the Bible. One is the buzzard supper, and the other one is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. You hear me tonight? It's coming. Yes, sir, it's coming. That you may eat the flesh of kings and captains and mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them. Now, I want you to notice verse 19. Now, this has been in the Bible all the time. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and the armies gathered together to fight Russia, China. This has been in the Bible all the time. Here it is. This is Armageddon. To make war against him that sat on the horse, that's Jesus, and against his army. And look how simple it is. And the beast was taken. Just like a cat would catch a rat. And the beast was taken. He just reached out and it all came to a head at Armageddon. What started before Adam and Eve came along came to a head at Armageddon. And the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him 
with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's Armageddon. It's not a block of nations against another block of nations. That's the Mount of Olives. And the scripture said that his feet shall stand in that day up on the Mount of Olives. When he comes in the rapture, he's coming across the earth like a high-powered magnet. Those that are dead in Christ will be raised first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's my word of comfort tonight. Christ is coming. Hallelujah. Not the Antichrist, but Christ is coming. I want to comfort you tonight with these words. Christ is coming. All right, notice now. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. That's when he comes in the revelation. You can call it two comings or two stages of the same coming, but when he comes for his church, his feet will not touch the earth in a place. But when he comes back with his saints to meet the beast and his armies, the scripture said his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives, and those that pierced him shall see him. They'll ask this question, where did you get the wounds in your hands, your feet in your side? He'll say, this is what I got in the house of my friends. They'll say, lo, this is I. God for whom we waited for for so long. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Now notice. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. Matthew 24, 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And he comes back to fight the battle of Armageddon. You hear me tonight, friends? Behold, he cometh with clouds, and they shall look upon him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. Can you imagine them standing there, realizing and recognizing what they've been through for 2,000 long years when Jesus came? You know what Jesus said to the Jews? He said, your house is left unto you desolate, and you'll not see me anymore until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Our God shall come. shall not keep silence. You'll call to the heaven from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Here's a scene that always did impress me. The disciples were in a room, but Thomas was missing. And I've heard a lot of sermons about Thomas. What an old unbeliever he was. But there's one thing you have to give him credit for. He wanted to be sure. And the Lord visited the disciples with Thomas absent. And when Thomas came back, they said, we've seen the Lord. He said, I don't believe it. And I won't believe it until I see him for myself and, and until I lay my hand, the wounded aside, in the nail prints of his hands, then I'll believe it. While they were talking, there was not a sound or step on the stairway nor the turn of a key in the lock. And the Lord just appeared right in the midst. He knew what Thomas had been talking about. If some folks had been there, it would have been a different story. But he said, Thomas, come here. Now, when you do have faith, have faith. 
when he saw him, he said, My Lord and my God. And somebody told me some time ago, said, If you don't quit preaching, what you're preaching, you'll soon be preaching that Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead. I said, I'm already preaching that. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the ending, the bright and the morning star, the Son of Righteousness, the root and the offspring of David. Hallelujah. He is our Savior tonight, and He is our Lord and our God. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, yes. Oh, listen, the valley of just real, listen. You talk about a battle the most violent hour that this world has ever known is coming up on it. It's all because the devil tried to wreck the plan and the program of God. I want you to notice in Revelation chapter 14, I want you to notice that very, very carefully. Revelation chapter 14. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power with fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in the sharp sickle and gather in the clusters of the vine of the earth. The vine of the earth. Not the true vine, but the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Now this is an old, original, biblical wine press. They put their grapes in there and people got in there with their feet and they mashed out the juice from the grapes. And when this angel will cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God, he's going to cast in the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. Sin will have come to his head. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. What a violent hour is coming on this earth. <laughs> you better thank you, God, you where you are tonight. If my words would mean anything to you, young preacher, don't get discouraged. Preach. Preach! Old preacher, I know that I'm nearing the time when I'm going to have to, if the rapture doesn't come, I'll have to lay my Bible down, but I'm not until I have to. And the way I feel, I never will lay it down. And I'm going to serve notice on you young preachers tonight. You're not going to shove me out of the way to have an end time revival, I'm going to be in there with you. can mean anything to the saints of God in this tabernacle tonight. 
go back home with a renewed interest and courage. Get behind your pastor and say, let's have a revival in our church and in our town. And get folks ready to meet the coming judgment that is sure to come. I would not leave you in this river of blood for nothing in this world. Uh I have a better way tonight. Yes, sir. That's not the saints. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a vine of the earth. Brother, there's a lot of difference. You wait till the fruit gets ripe. You wait till the fruit gets ripe on this true vine. He's going to harvest us and take us in. Don't worry about it tonight. Hear me? Don't worry about it. There's a man in the Bible. He started out a long time ago looking for a city. Looking for a city which hath foundations whose builder and mecca is God. Whose builder and mecca is God. Oh, listen! The new Jerusalem I saw! The holy city. New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Where are you going tonight? Where are you going tonight? Oh, look, friend, look, look. Go to the city. I said we're going to the city. There'll be no tears there. There'll be no pain there. There'll be no pain there. There'll be no death there. There'll be no death there. There'll be no disappointment there. Hallelujah. 